Scott Rise or Reese? Reese, like Reese's Reese. peanut butter cups. Reese, yep. I should have known that. Scott, uh, community project works. Um, you're a filmmaker. I see um, you've been uh, doing some stuff as far as, as far as the quarantine goes and and uh, making COVID compliant, friendly productions. I'm and, doing my best. Doing doing your best. So, uh, Scott, tell me a little bit more about Community Project Works, a little bit more about yourself, uh, what you do and what you've been up to. Yeah, my name is Scott Reese. Uh, I'm a producer based out of Brooklyn, New York, and I'm a co-owner and uh, trainer a, at uh, the Community Works Project, uh, which is our organization. It's a uh, set safety cooperative uh, that was founded here in Brooklyn, New York, uh, early in the summer, late spring, early summer, 2020. Um, and I've been running set safety trainings on Zoom uh, for the last couple, the last six months or so. And that job has transitioned uh, into me getting back on set this fall, uh, working in COVID compliance on different types of uh, film shoots for uh, film and commercials and, uh, and television. So that's the, the short answer, uh, but there's a lot to unpack with that. Yeah, I think, I, I, you know what, now that I think about it, I know exactly how we're connected. I got my COVID compliance. I think I got my COVID compliance with uh, with you. I think you taught it with somebody else with health education services. Well, was wasn't that, through, it, what, I wasn't through health education services. Health education services is this, is this amazing uh, organization uh, based out of LA that has been doing uh, COVID compliance officer trainings, uh, you know, across the country. Um, but there's lots of uh, different, um, you know, listservs and different emails yeah. and things and uh, different, you know, reaching out to different people who have gone through there. So we must have crossed paths uh, yeah. through the, the email list afterwards. Must have crossed paths through that. Somehow. Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely. a small world. Yeah, absolutely. So have, uh, have you been back on set? I have been back on set. Yeah. Um, and I just finished a shoot this past week. Uh, it was a, a four-day shoot here in, in Brooklyn, New York, uh, for um, you know for a, a, a documentary TV show. Lots of different you know talking heads. Uh, about seventeen interviews over the span of four days uh, with a minimal crew. So um, I guess you know from from this, I my job was to make sure everyone got to set uh, you know safely uh, that everyone had been tested ahead of time that everyone was on the same page of how we were going to plan to act uh, with each other on set. So there were no surprises. I like to see uh, if I can pick out what sort of red flags might happen in relation to who's gonna be on set ahead of time. So when we get there, instead of just scolding people or saying, you can't do this, I offer alternatives. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly everyone's like, oh, okay. Someone else has thought about this, you know, like I can do this. We can work together. We can get to the end of the day. We can get home safe. Um, so I think that's, you know, the, the big thing about uh, the, the COVID compliance department. Uh, it's um, doing a little bit of extra work ahead of time to be able to communicate directly with who you're going to be working with, to get to know them a little bit better than yeah. I think I normally would before showing up on set as a production coordinator or a production manager. And then um, offering alternatives when issues come up, and having that ready in your back pocket, uh, so you know, so there's no conflict. Before COVID, were you a 
it sounds to me like you were an AD or a production manager. Definitely. Yeah, I was. I was all over the map. I, I w- yeah. worked as a. Um, I've done a little bit of everything. Uh, before COVID, uh, I I had a, a full time producing job at a company called You Visit. You know, so we made virtual tours for college campuses and mm. universities, and uh, some of my favorite clients were tourism boards, and uh, you know, uh, companies that were doing really elaborate recruiting videos all in 360 for people okay. to either look at it in a headset or online. So I spent about four years on the road, uh, traveling around the country, uh, field producing, you know, these small shoots um, in almost every state, you know, it's with, a, with a great group of people. Uh, and then I transitioned out of that to do more producing freelance to develop some of my own projects. And that came to a screeching halt last spring. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then I, I found, uh, the, you know, the, this, uh, the group of people who I've, you know, are now my, my close collaborators, uh, that I met at a random meet and greet on zoom, uh, that was organized by another co-op called the sound co-op mm-hmm. and the sound co-op is a, is a group of, you know, also worker owners who are sound mixers here in the city also didn't have a lot of work to do this past spring. So they started uh, holding a series of uh, Zoom meetings to talk about safety culture and what they could do to help promote safety culture moving forward, to help keep people keep safe. And based off of those conversations with some new friends that I made through the Sound Co-op, we founded the Community Works Project uh, and uh, brought on board uh, a fantastic uh, safety trainer, across industry safety trainer. Um, their name's Christina Fox. And uh, Christina and I, uh, as well as our, our CEO, Phil Shipman, started um, taking cross-industry safety trainings and started to focus on how we can tailor these specifically for set safety for production professionals with COVID-19 in mind. And we were off and running. You know, so we've been uh, training uh, different freelancers as well as full production companies and media companies um, you know, fairly consistently from July till now. And um, eventually it expanded. You know, we brought another uh, a, a producer on the West Coast. Uh, her name is Rochelle Savory. She's a, a fantastic line producer as well as a COVID compliance supervisor uh, based on the West Coast. And uh, she helped us develop a, a COVID compliance officer training as well. And uh, through that group of people that we started training, um, uh, we have a, this, it's a really amazing group of people who I get to talk to every couple of weeks on our just random zoom meetings that we have with each other, just to keep each other up in the loop as to how we can support each other, what we can do, uh, and how we can help prepare each other to be able to stay sane while we're doing this job. Yeah. I mean, especially the sanity and, and, you know, the frustration, not being able to create, not being able to work, but finding that, Finding the tools, finding finding the uh, the agility and the tools and the means to make this work, Mm -hmm. to 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 keep working and to and to make productions work and and to think outside the box. That's that's been my biggest that's been my biggest you know kind of flagship uh, mentality throughout this whole thing is thinking outside the box and making things work in a time where it's, if, if this thing, if, if this thing is not working, we have to still make it work so that we can work. Right. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people never did stop working. You know, I mean, the, you know, the TV commercials didn't stop playing this past spring. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those productions is they had to find different ways to be able to produce, uh, whether it's, you know, virtually, you know, or through Zoom, like what we're doing. You know, this is a fantastic engineering control. This is a great way to stay isolated from a pathogen. <laughs> yeah. This is this is right in there. And uh, that is uh, something that we talk about uh, in our safety trainings. You know, if you... Um, you know, it's a, it's a great way to be able to, to, to keep working. This is us, us doing this right now is a lot more effective than us meeting in person wearing PPE, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's a, uh, it's all, it's all part of it. I mean, we're too good looking to have that mask cover, cover our faces. So, I know. I, so we are doing it on zoom and, and, and the audio and the video is just fine. And, and, uh, you know, my lighting's not good today. I actually, you know, try to like retool the studio a little bit. I even, I, I scrubbed yeah. the front of my, um, my dishwasher today just because right. I, I knew it was going to be in the background. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about community works and, and what kind of productions are you focusing on? Cause just based on the, that, that sound, that branding, it sounds like it's nonprofit stuff, but what kind of, what kind of productions or, or, or pieces that do you focus on with community works? Well, with community works project, we focus on, I guess the, 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 the trainings that we've had the most success with, I think that have been, you know, really the best have been um, producers who work with in a group of freelancers often, you know, that they have a, a, a group of people that they work with all the time and they've um, bought out one of our trainings and then put down the money to be able to buy it out and then invite the people that they like to hire with in order to be able to get them all trained. You know, so I think those, those are the ways, the, the ones that we've been able to really have a great amount of success with. Uh, you know, so we have, you know, we've, we've had a, a several different um, producers and EPs uh, that have had connections either with me prior to Community Works Project or through the Sound Co-op. And uh, we were able to, um, you know, pitch our training to them and have them help us do the marketing to be able to bring in people to help fill in the classes. Um, so community works is training other producers, videographers. We'll train, we'll train everybody. You know, okay. with, are these these trainings are are for you know cross departmental. Um, I think a a production coordinator who works in an office or who works with legal will learn just as much from our trainings as a PA or a grip or a gaffer or a DP. Or someone who is in the trenches okay. on set, or whether yeah. you know, we've had a lot of people in the locations departments come through our trainings, um, and and we didn't invent any of you know the things that we really talk about. All we do is we talk about it in a in a in a production um, frame of mind, and um, you know, I think, and that's what's I think really you know separates our trainings um, from lots of other you know uh, trainings out there that are talking about. Uh, you know, COVID. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes sense. So you're back on set mm-hmm. and, and, uh, you know, what, what else have you produced? I know that's a lot of training. Are you doing the training videos? Is it, is it training video packages or is it? Well, we've been, most of our, our the trainings that we do is all interactive on zoom. Okay. And we focus on um, popular education. 
uh, which means it's a lot of questions and interactivity back and forth. Uh, we generally don't even record our Zoom trainings uh, because so much of it is conversational and breakout okay. rooms. Mm -hmm. And so I, I like to go into a training knowing that I'm going to try and learn as much as possible from the people in the room as they're learning from me. Because okay. everyone has experiences they're, they're bringing to the table. You know, and so if we can get a room of 15 people in a Zoom and you know, a quarter of them are producers and a quarter of them are in camera department, another quarter of them are production coordinators and the other quarter are um, you know, locations. I mean, this is gonna be, that, that, that's, a, that's a solid group of people to be able to work with. Um, and it's been great because uh, we've been able to do some more advertising on some other uh, COVID compliance Facebook groups and some other uh, listservs that have brought people from different markets around the country to be able to be in our trainings altogether. And so now we have someone who works, you know, on commercial productions in Houston is learning about what it's like to work on a back lot in Atlanta, you know, with uh, commercial producers in LA and then somebody who works in Portland and someone who works remote in Cleveland, you know, and they're all in the same room together. They all get each other's contact info afterwards. And we've gotten people who have been able to hire each other for regional jobs based off of working each other in our, our trainings. And that's, and that's what this last year has really kicked in overdrive was this interactive virtual. I've never, ne I've never, you know, gone so overboard on networking and reaching out and just, uh, you know, I'm, I was on your list. I was on your list or I was on, on your, on your, I was, I uh, subscribed to your email yep. and I just said, screw it. I'm just going to like reply to this email. You know, and I did that to a whole bunch of a whole slew of other these emails, these these other producers, voiceover actors, production companies that I'm a part of their listserv with, and I just started replying straight to the straight to the emails. I was going I was going ballistic on LinkedIn and just reaching out to everybody and saying, "Listen, you know, this is the 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 time is now to just hey, uh, I got a podcast, man. Uh, you want to just come on and just talk talk shit and and uh, here we are." And, and complain or or brag about what we have going on. Complain about what we don't have going on anymore. And like you said, uh, this is an opportunity with with your community community works. Mm -hmm. this, this is an opportunity for people to just reach out, network, and talk to talk to some folks that may have not have had time to talk to us before. And it's not because you know, like a lot of people get this bad impression that they're too they're too snooty, they're too they're too high and mighty. Listen they might just not have the time. You know, if you're actually on set, you can't be on the phone, you know, uh, it's yep. a quiet set, it's a, it's a lockdown set, you gotta like turn your phone off, you know, action cut, that sort of thing, reset. But now it's like, you know, a lot of folks are behind their computer with plenty, a lot more free time, a lot less productions. And now it's, I, uh, you know, a, a totally different, you know, thing is like all these master classes are being produced now. Yeah. All these, all these professionals that you never knew existed or never knew would have the time to do such a thing is now everybody's coming out with their own masterclass on, on cooking. And there's seven different actors doing acting masterclasses. There's seventeen yep. different. There's seventeen different musicians. You know, Dead Mouse and uh, and there was somebody else. Uh, I forget the couple of EDM producers and all these folks doing masterclasses on EDM, on guitars, on drums. Um, 
there was like a there's like a business mogul doing a master class on entrepreneurship. There's uh oh who's the who's the angry cook? He's got like 17 different cooking. Oh, uh, Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay did a master class on cooking. You know? Gordon Ramsay, I got I got a beef to 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 okay. bone to pick with him. You know, I I I Gordon Ramsay's great. You know, I, I learned I've been cooking my I've been cooking my face off. You know, the you know the last you know ever since the pandemic began, I've cooked more in this year than I have in my entire life. Oh yeah. And Gordon Ramsay taught me earlier this year that finally the the correct way to chop an onion, whereas like I can chop an onion in like. 10 seconds now. Thank you, Gordon Ramsay. I get it now. I know how to actually do it. And then I'm done. I never have to like think about it again. But then I watched him. Uh, he, he tried to teach me how to uh, cook a turkey for Thanksgiving. And I followed some of his advice a little too closely and realized that I am not a French chef. I don't need that much butter in anything. Uh-huh. It really turned out very poorly. So. Hey, listen, I learned how to, I learned how to carve a turkey off a three minute YouTube video. Yep. It was like that, and okay. So, granted, we had a we had a pre-cooked butter ball, so it only needs like an hour and a half in the oven. But once you take that thing out, now what, right? So, three-minute YouTube video on how to carve a turkey, and it showed like the little sections and the little mm-hmm. joints, and then and you got your you got your wings, you got your legs, and then you got your breast, and that's like the 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 nicely cut sections, and it and then. Yeah. So, I mean, it, 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 all, it all depends on who you're talking to, man. Yeah. <laughs> a, a French cook, a French, uh, a French, uh, what is it? A five-star French cooked yeah. turkey for Thanksgiving or uh, just a. I, I got to say though, you know, so, a lot of Gordon Ramsay stuff online, I was shocked at how pleasant he was. Yeah. He feels a little coked up still and kind of doing his thing, but like, but like, but he was, you know, smiling. He wasn't yelling at anybody. You could tell he's enjoying what he's doing. It was probably by himself. Yeah. So. Or you know, like maybe a maybe a camera op, maybe some sort of tech in there, alone with him. But yeah, when he's dealing with uh, inexperienced people, I mean, I yeah. guess that, that that that's a gimmick. It's got to be a gimmick. Well, on, I don't know. Have, have you ever worked in a high end kitchen before? Have you ever you know been in you know like close yeah. proximity with a with a fancy chef? Because I have, and it seems really familiar to me when I I, I hear him yelling at people like that. Maybe not that much, but uh, ten, I worked at a restaurant where they did call the chefs what is a sous chef and mm-hmm. uh, and and the other was head chef, head chef and sous chef. Yeah, they did, okay. they did have that. They did have that at this restaurant. It wasn't that. I don't think it was that intense though. But <laughs> I lasted five months in a restaurant. That's as long as my restaurant career was. I was a food runner at a high end restaurant right out of college here in New York. And, you know, the, the food runner is the one that gets the front row seat of all the action because the runner is the link to the yeah. pass in the kitchen. I was a food runner. Too. Yeah. So you get it. You know, you get yeah. to, you got to know everything. You got to know all the, the, how everybody works and you got to be able to communicate what's going on there to the people in there without having them freak out and then tell it, get that freak out answer and tell it to the surface out there without having them freak out. Yeah. And you got to interact with all of the guests because you're the one putting the food down and answering questions. You know, like the food runner is, is the magic link that makes the high-end restaurant work. Yeah. But I had some a couple of really scary situations where, where our chef got so angry, I thought his, <laughs> his veins were going to pop out of his forehead and just die on the spot. And it was terrifying. Yeah. That, uh, that movie, I can't remember the name of the movie, but with uh, um, oh, Brad... Um, Crap. 
He did. He did the voice of Rocket Raccoon. He was in Limitless. He was in Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. Yeah. So there was that Cook movie where he was a, he was like this superstar chef. I know that. I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name of it right now. It's really was it cooked? Cooked. Is that I think it was? was. I think it was cooked. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you have you had uh, John John Favreau did a movie called Chef, which I just saw on my Netflix queue last night. That's what I was thinking about, but that's not that. But it's not that's the that. one where he gets a food truck. Cooked took, is the one yeah. with Bradley Cooper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it is called Cooked, because he got because you know it, it's a it, I guess it's a I guess it's a metaphor on life. You know, he got cooked in life, and what the heck? No, it's not cooked. Yeah, what am I doing? Burnt, burnt, burnt. It's, that's it's, what it was. It's burnt out. Okay, burnt. Because <laughs> he, he got because he because he was burnt out as a chef. I was close. Cooked, yeah. Burnt, right. Yeah, and uh, I mean that really was that really was like a fan. Yeah, it was burnt, and that was and and that was a really good you know view into that whole that French cuisine, high end. You know what is it that Michelin? Michelin is it so? Michelin Tires has a restaurant magazine. Yep. And so and and it's the mag and it's the restaurant magazine of all restaurant magazines. Yeah. It's, but it's Michelin Tires. I, I remember when I when I first realized that it's the same Michelin family that does yeah. the tires, and the, I was just like, is, is that for real? And then like on the back of the Michelin guide is the tire guy. Is it? The, it's the tire guy, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's baffling. It's and. and it, what was it? there's another thing like that and yeah it gets it gets even more complicated because the michelin guide is on a three-star rating and the new york times is on a four-star rating so those are the two like kind of go to at least you know here you know in new york you know you got your michelin restaurants and you got your new york times review you know so just because like like a like a one-star michelin restaurant might be a three-star restaurant in the New York Times. Right. There's, there's like there's an equation that you can kind of you know getting a Michelin star is just like you are amazing. You have made it as a restaurant, you know. And there aren't many three-star Michelin restaurants in the world, you know. Uh, but um, but yeah. The, yeah, and it's like the same thing with a, a four-star restaurant in New York Times. You know, there's only I don't know. There might have only been a dozen ever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned, you know, New York Times and like the press and how they can destroy people. Uh, me and the wife just decided to start watching Veep okay. from the beginning. And there is, you know, uh, a number of uh, Washington Post characters, ca uh, these char characters in the show that, that work for the Washington Post. And it's just the, the power that they hold over vice, the vice president's staff. And, yeah. and uh, um, I think it was the second, we were watching the second ever episode of Veep and she was supposed to make an appearance at a frozen yogurt shop. You know, it was a black owned frozen yogurt shop. It had been there for decades. You know, it's like a staple of this uh, fictional <laughs> DC community, but she was supposed to make an appearance. The press was there. She was running late for whatever. I don't want to you know give all these spoilers. And the guy was losing his mind and destroying these staffers and it's and you're right it's like michelin tires of all people have a cook have a restaurant review magazine a restaurant book and then the, the new york times that you know can can could destroy what was there was also a curb you know there was that curb episode of that that guy that does two thumbs up to restaurants <laughs> and uh and larry david was freaking out because he was supposed to review 
the restaurant Larry David and some partners were like opening up, and then it's one, one of those crazy curb episodes. But and then and then I guess you know this was more prevalent before COVID because there were actually movies coming out in the theaters. But you know the whole you know um, you know uh, fanboys or or the opposite of fanboys, you know, sabotaging Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic and, you know, putting yeah. negative reviews on things just to make the IMDb score go lower before a movie comes out. I mean, that's just awful. Yeah. You know, like, it's just like, wh why? I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand. You know, I don't understand why, you know. These are probably like implants. These are probably plants, moles put in by competing studios, competing artists, vengeful maybe or it's all marketing ploys so that this one film there was that film uh ladybird about the mm -hmm. teenage girl yeah. that it would have gotten a 100 apparently it was the it's one of the greatest movies ever made one of the most honest most poignant films of a girl's you know uh maturing uh puberty prepubescent you know into into adulthood whatever you call it and it would have gotten 100%, and some, but some schmuck had to go on Rotten Tomatoes and, and give it a low rating purposefully. You know, oh, I, I, I like Lady Bird. I, would, I wouldn't give it a, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't give it the Oscar, but uh, it, it was definitely a really, really great movie. But apparently on Rotten Tomatoes, there was, there was, this, whole, there was this whole YouTube outcry against this reviewer that funny. gave it a low one had he not had he or she not given it such a low rating it would have gotten a 100 percent purely fresh you know 100 yep. percent on rotten tomatoes but somebody had to go in and throw a wrench in there and 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 they said they, they tried to track the person down no basis behind this bad review none hmm. whatsoever no real and basis anyway i i still find myself every once in a while going back and reading roger ebert's old reviews for some of my favorite movies or, you know, or, or I, some, I, I see a movie online or that I hadn't, you know, an old movie or, you know, something that's for whatever reason, I just never watched before, never saw before. I'm like, I wonder what Roger Ebert thought about that. And I go back and I read it. His stuff is still the best. You know, his stuff is still the best. And you know, there, there's nothing better than reading an old Roger Ebert review and reading the review and knowing while you're reading it that he was having a really bad day because that yeah. man knows how to let out his crankiness on a movie like nobody else and it is fantastic reading you know it's like and and i can't really you know maybe it hurt the movie maybe it didn't but you know it, he he writes an enjoyable thing for people to read and i think that's what people you know there there aren't many reviewers today that write something to be enjoyable it's either like i have a bone to pick or this and it's not about i don't know you know he he always made people think when he wrote whether or not he was right or not. And mm -hmm. I miss that with reviews these days. You don't get that anymore. Yeah. yeah. And there, I mean, he's disliked a lot of my favorite films too. He's always shot down some of the ones I loved. Oh but, my God. You ever, you ever read his usual suspects review? One star, <laughs> one star. Die Hard, my favorite movie, two stars. Are you kidding right. me? So, you know, but he's still my favorite reviewer. But he might be able to, he might be able to sell his review. He's able to pass it off with uh legitimacy yeah because because i mean you know like some some critics some critics and some reviewers are film have did study film at some point and then yeah. and then you've but then you've got you know uh, i i think nowadays most critics don't know what the hell they're talking about they've never been on a film set they don't know what it's like to actually create 
try to pull off, you know, a piece of art. And I yeah. get that a lot. I mean, and, and, and I get that a lot, but these are mostly, you know, like want to be critics that I know personally that are, that, that have something stupid to say. And it's like, whatever. I've no, I, I haven't, I haven't had the grace to be actually critiqued by a real critic or a real reviewer. Not yet. yet. Not yet. I haven't been blessed with that with with that joy yet to be really destroyed by uh, <laughs> by somebody with some you know Cisco and Abra aren't around anymore. Who's a Roper now? So Roper's by himself. Yeah, and, yeah. Roper Roper still does you know he still does reviews. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you know maybe one day I'll be able to get destroyed if I'm even lucky. But you know it, it's funny you mention that you know people that are are dumping on other products, and it made me think. I was watching this docu-series on YouTube. There's this YouTuber that's doing this whole series. Were you ever a wrestling fan? Yeah. W yeah. So you remember the Monday Night Wars, uh, WWF Raw versus WCW Monday Nitro. And there's, yeah, this, yeah. there's this huge, long web series going on right now called Reliving the War that some, some British or Irish guy is doing this entire YouTube series called Reliving the War. And he, and he plays to an extent through editing or whatever he plays both episodes side by side and you can you see eric bischoff live reading the results of raw raw is like taking all these jabs at wcw and it's a competition the first thing that that came to my mind is that you know someone might write a terrible review and they're plants they're moles they're doing it they're hired by somebody else to do it to to dump on this one movie because it's from it was released by this studio it was it was released by this streaming service and the so it was a plant by this you know com, competitor studio or streaming service yeah. it, you know and, and it's all it, it's just like politics i mean it's like these constant you know jabs these underlying you know take take a look at the last four years of our of, our, of the administration and, and mm -hmm. all these dirty tricks played by both sides it's all a competition it's all plants moles it's that's big business mm -hmm. is destroying things within or or looking like this having a having the 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 cover of just being like this innocent bystander that didn't like the film. They were, it's a plant. It's a mole. Most times. I, I hope you're wrong. You know, I, I, I hope you are just because it'll, 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 it will depress me less. You know, if, if the majority of the people who are writing the bad reviews are just snarky people who want people want attention for themselves, you know, or they, they just don't like the look of a star or they don't agree with executives direction of where they're, going to bring a, a comic book series you know because they just don't agree with that you know like i i i i have to agree with you but i hope we're wrong you know yeah i mean there's there's filmmakers and i mean there's 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 critics there's reviewers who was it that just says i don't care what it is if it's superhero i hate it oh man i can't remember now but anyways there's people out there that just Oh, I mean, uh, Scorsese said that. That's you know, what it was. Yeah, yeah. He was the one that was, uh, that, that he was, he just said he just wouldn't, he wouldn't watch it, you know, and he, do, he doesn't, he, and he doesn't, he doesn't think Marvel movies are cinema. That's what he said. And yeah. then he might, he might as well have just, you know, like <laughs> imploded his image on the internet because of that. And he had to backtrack that too. You know, he had to backtrack it. He had to do a whole nother, um, 
uh, statement off it and, and had to go out of his way yeah. to, to applaud the, the creative agencies and everyone who, who, all the people who have made those movies possible. It's just, it wasn't for him. You know, he had to clarify that a little bit. Let me clarify. It's not for me. Yeah. But you yeah. know, like, but like you said, you know, like that, that first one statement you make, that's going to be really what it is. And you know, I know he's not a mole. He's not a player. I'm pretty sure he meant it from the heart. And he might have he might have said said it in a way that he didn't mean to at first, maybe. But like, you know, he he has a point. I mean, let's uh, let's be honest. You know, Disney wants merch. They want amusement parks. They want you know they want to they want to make this as big and as grandiose for you know parents to 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 blow money on their kids for whatever reason and so not only is there a movie but there's there's a there's a ride there's toys there's shirts there's plushies there's stuffed animals there's uh there's cars now there uh i i I did a uh i did a car commercial and they had like a tony stark version of uh of a camry toyota camry and there's a tony Mm -hmm. stark there's a toyota there's a tony stark version of some toyota model and it's all decked out and it's got AI in it and it's got, you know, like the Iron Man symbol, like engraved in this car. And it's kind of cool, but let's be honest. I mean, at this point, it's, it's all, those are great movies. I'm a big fan of Marvel and DC, huge fan, mm-hmm. but they're pushing more than just, you know, deep stories with deep characters in extraordinary circumstances. It's, yeah. it's hard for me to, you know, think about, you know, like, is this high art? Is this cinema? Or is this just mass entertainment? You know, is this just a movie? You know, like, I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm always, the projects that I'm working in, I'm always so in the trenches doing it. You know, it makes me think that if I was working on a Marvel film, as long as the people surrounding me are, remarkable creative giving artists and what we're doing is genuine then the powers that be that are allowing us to do this work if they want to find a way to market a tony stark car off of this and do this all kind of thing like right. that, great you know uh, as long as you know you're, you're working with people uh you know in in those worlds in those departments um that are really you know looking after each other and getting to working to collaborate to do something really cool and you're enjoying your time because you only get one shot at this right right so you know it's that's that's the kind of level of of uh, the productions and the people that work. no matter how big of a production i'm working on i'm always looking at it like who are the people i'm working with and for me that's what makes a project worth it or not you know like that's that's it for me for me yeah that the, a lot of that's a lot of that's that a lot of that goes into it but at the end of the day you know we have to enjoy we have to love what we're doing Mm -hmm. it's got to be fun you know we got into this because we loved marvel we loved indiana jones we loved et we loved star wars you get on set and everyone's acting the villain did you grow up wanting to be the villain did you grow up wanting to be the bad guy or did you root for the good guy when you were a kid let's be honest we're not cops here we're not we're not uh, oil drillers. We're making films. Yeah. Nine and, and, and 50% of the time, films are 
directed towards kids. When we were a kid, we were watching, like I said, Star Wars, Indiana mm-hmm. Jones. For me, for me, it was for me it was Christopher Reeve as Superman until I was like nine, and then it was like you know Michael Keaton's Batman, which was which was a little bit darker, a little bit a little bit grittier. But we were always rooting for the good guy. And and a lot of times you get on you get on these film sets and everyone is just, just uh, you know dictators, douchebags, and maybe maybe not nowadays. Maybe after the Me Too movement, I think things have lightened up. I think in the last few years when I've been on film sets, it's been very cohesive, very fun, very relaxed, very progressive. It it, it but, comes from the top down. Yeah, you know, and you know it, it really you know the, the tone the tone is set by you know, by the production team, you know, by, you know, and, you know, if, and it, 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 it's, it's, we feel the same way here when we're doing COVID compliance stuff, you know, um, you know, the, if a, if a production coordinator uh, doesn't care about wearing a mask or not, and if the AD thinks COVID is a hoax, even though they don't say that out loud, but you can tell by how they act, you tell. Mm-hmm. then your, your commercial shoot is going to be very very painful experience for the COVID compliance team and for the crew, particularly the safety minded crew. But if from the top down there's that communication with people where they're saying, "Look, we want to, yeah, we want to tell our story, but we want to keep people safe at the same time," and they hold those two ideals at the same level, then it allows the COVID team to act creatively, to come up with solutions in order to be able to help make your day. And it allows the creative team to uh, keep a sense of uh, people's mental health while they're pushing to get the job done, you know, and everybody wins because everybody goes home healthy. You make your day, you tell a good story. And, um, and that's, you know, those are, those are the, those are the productions that really work. And I, I hope once our vaccine comes out and people are going back to, to work normally, uh, that that will become the new normal. You know, this, this sense of safety culture where, you know, story and safety are, you know, two sides of the same coin. They're both just as important as the other, you know, and, and you really can't just have one without the other because they're both part of the production. Yeah. You, know, you can't fight each other. You know, there's a reason why, you know, the AICP and other, you know, the, the group, uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the back to work agreements and everything stopped calling COVID compliance officers, COVID compliance officers. We are not cops. Mm-hmm. No, it is not us versus them. Right. You know, you know, we're supervisors, assistants, you know, health and safety managers, you know, we are not cops. You know, we are here to fill in the gaps to help make the production go because we understand that production can't take on any more than they already are because they're already overstrung. So yeah. how can we fill in the gaps and how can we make that work while we have to do all of this? Boom. Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great point. Yeah. I like it. So what's, so, so what's next on the agenda? What's the next set of plans, the next set of goals? What's next on the agenda for Scott Reese for community works? Well, uh, we have a, a set safety training on our, our website. If you go to communityworksproject.com, uh, you can read all about our, our uh, set safety trainings. We have uh, one on the books for Wednesday and Thursday, uh, January 6th and January 7th. Uh, there's still plenty of uh, slots available. Uh, it's an eight-hour workshop. It's four hours one afternoon and four hours the next afternoon. Uh, and uh, it's $200 per person. 
you know, so that's $200 for eight contact hours of interactive set safety training with safety professionals. Uh, and, you know, like I always said, we are, we are a, um, a cooperative. So every penny that we make goes directly back out to all of our members. We have seven members and that covers the, the cost of us being able to continue to develop as well as to administer our trainings and to, um, uh, continue consulting with people who comes through our trainings. You know, so if you take a, a community works project training, uh, you basically become part of the community and you can utilize us as a resource uh, when you need to. Um, you know, we are here, you know, I've, I've met some amazing people who have uh, come through our trainings that I've, I've helped uh, get jobs that I've been there to be references for. Uh, as well as people who I've reached out to ask questions, to answer things that come up to me on sets. Uh, and uh, I don't see that stopping anytime soon. I want to keep that going. And I'm going to continue growing my network of professionals across the country that when the next big project comes, I know who to hire. When I'm in Texas, I got a list of location managers that I want to hire now because I know they were trained and they went through our program and, uh, and I trust them. And uh, same thing with LA, you know, I got contacts in you know, Chicago. I got some amazing contacts in Philadelphia now. Uh, even though I'm from the Philly suburbs, I've never, you know, done extensive film work in Philly. Now I feel like I'm ready. And all I've been doing is just safety trainings on Zoom. And now I feel like, yeah, if something comes up, a commercial comes up, I feel like I'd be able to call just the right people to put together a team to do that. Um, beyond the safety trainings, uh, I'm going to continue working as a COVID compliance supervisor uh, on sets here in New York. I've basically, most of the jobs that I've been taking recently are um, sets between five and 15 people, 20 people or less on, on a shoot for multiple days uh, that, you know, basically calls for a one person COVID compliance department team. You know, I, I, those are the, the levels of production that I'm ready to pick up my gear and go and do right now. Um, you know, the, the larger the productions, you know, with a, a larger team, whether they're shooting in a studio or something like that, uh, I think might be a little bit more of a time commitment than I'm willing to put in for a show right now. Uh, and then if I was going to work on a larger show, I would like to work in the production department for it um, coming up as opposed yeah. to working at COVID compliance. You know, so for the time being, uh, through the spring, I'm going to be focusing on getting as many trainings on the books and to be able to continue uh, meeting as many people as I can. Uh, working on small uh, doc TV type uh, COVID compliance work here in Brooklyn. And the most beautiful thing I have work, I mean, working for me now is I'm going to take the next two weeks over the holiday and I'm not going to take any jobs and I'm going to write. So it's, Hell been yeah. while, it's been a while since I've focused on my own work. I, I like to, I support a lot of collaborators and a lot of friends and um, it's been a while since I've been able to focus a couple of weeks on uh, some of my own ideas. So I got, I got some work, um, I got some work in front of me and I'm really looking forward to it over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I can't agree with you more. And, and we, we mentioned it a couple of times, this whole podcast thing was a way for me to like take advantage of this downtime. I know with the exception of the likes of you where you're staying busy, you, you found your, you, you found a, an opportunity 
um, to, to, to make productions uh, continue. But I've had a lot of actors on here, writers, directors, producers, that everything, especially, you know, months ago, during the start of it, uh, everything was came to a complete halt. So this was an opportunity for them to jump on, express themselves, you know, share what they hope to get off the ground. But this was a this was a complete networking push myself push myself out there also. Like, hey, when the floodgates open, I'm an actor, I'm an AD, uh, I'm a I'm a director. I can be a producer, production coordinator, production manager. When the floodgates open, you know, definitely keep me in mind acting yeah sure oh check out my stuff oh, since you're since you're you're going to be in my episode on my channel check out my other stuff that i have on my channel maybe you know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that might be interested in you know uh you know taking one of my projects further yeah com com complete hack job on the quarantine as far as still kind of getting myself out there in a way but like you said man i mean this is this is the opportunity now to network train cross train uh influence market network collaborate and then once those floodgates open yeah i guess you put it that way i guess i, I really haven't said no to much of anything mm -hmm. over the last six seven eight months you know i've you know i you know early in the summer i just kind of just said to myself you know what i'm just going to say yes to everything that comes right now if someone invites me to this online i'll say yes you want to do this yeah you want to join this co-op yeah. Okay. You want to be, you want to learn how to be a safety trainer. Okay. I'll take that. Yep. <laughs> you want to come on your podcast. Okay. I don't know you, but let's talk. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Let's, let's just see, let's just keep going. Yeah. 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 And, and, and uh, you know, it, this, this, this whole pandemic has sucked in so many ways. I mean, that's, that goes without saying, but I think for those of us that wanted to maintain some sort of sanity and creativity and open-mindedness and communication. I mean, of all things, you know, bottom line, communication and just talk and share ideas and put our faces, keep putting our faces out there. I mean, we all want to like put our ideas, put our brand, put our faces out there during a lull, during this, yes. you know, shutdown and all that stuff. We still have the whole virtual, everyone's got internet and, you know, virtual capabilities. So, I mean, that's, that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of technology. And even this thing has far surpassed technology. And, you know, I've mentioned this before, you know, like post 9-11, tech, you know, quadrupled post 9-11. And now with this, tech quadrupled again, you know. I mean, I still have VHS tapes. I still had a VCR and VHS tapes uh, around the time of 2001, 2002. And then next thing you know, you know, five, six years later, it's streaming. Yeah. Uh, YouTube and uh, there were a couple other sites. It was all these things online. Streaming is the term now, but I, I think it was just online media at that time. And next thing you know, man, it's just, you know, all these kind of evolutionary periods that we get. And uh, the whole conspiracy between the elections in 2016, that kind of like, pushed social media and you know online presences and that sort of deal then yeah and then now it was it was progressed even further so yeah i mean this this is this is the opportunity now to network cr across the globe i mean i've i've had guests on here from britain and india and singapore you know just That's awesome and and 
got to work around that time difference, but you know, it's, it's this bizarre uh, phenomena that I just said, you know, screw it. You know, I've had some colleagues of mine saying like, what's, we've tried this whole podcast thing before, even virtually before the quarantine, we tried it virtually. I was bringing, you know, I had two, I, I had two phone calls going on at the same time, Google Hangouts and a Skype and two guys, all three of us were both on Google Hangouts and Skype, but I could only bring one video in from Hangouts and then one video in from Skype. And then, then I was coming in from, you know, a, a, an actual production camera and it was just a shit show. And then, and then now with this, it's like, screw it, you know, buy the unlicensed full, you know, platinum version of Zoom, multiple, yeah. pe multiple people on at the same time. And you can like swap videos and it made the whole tech easier. And then I was like, dude, we're going to do it again. And I had some colleagues like, but what is your format? And what, what is this? And, and like, do you have a theme? And, and like, what are the trends? And I'm like, dude, screw all that, man. Let's just jump on, shoot the shit. And things are, seem to be going well. But at the same time, since it's going well for me, it's kind of going well for millions of other, like, like it's, we're so inundated with like, you know, these startup podcasts now yeah. that, that it kind of hurts, but it kind of helps, but who knows, just do, but at the end yeah. of the day, it, but at the end of the day, you got to pull the trigger on something and you just, just do something and you never know what you're going to strike gold at. I agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. You know, you know, so if, you know, I could, I could very well see, you know, if, you know, if I've, you know, if I've made contact and continue to uh, do consulting or maybe, you know, work here and there with, let's say 50 people who I've met over the past, you know, eight months, it's a lot of people, but like one or two of them, you know, a couple of years from now, suddenly it's like, oh, we, this is the big project that now we can like build the, you know, the mid, our mid careers off of. It's like that happened because we took that step. We took that leap. You know, we tried something, you know, and knowing that, you know, the only thing that we're going to get out of this is what we put into it. Exactly. You know, and that's what you're doing with this. Um, it's, you know, it's what we are collectively doing with CWP um, in order to be, not, not CWP is not all of our, it's none of our, for, you know, full-time jobs. You know, we're all production professionals. We're all trying to get back into the real world to be able to continue working, uh, with people out in the field. Um, but it's been a great way to be able to keep our focus and to be able to get people, uh, trained to stay safe and to keep their crew safe and to keep their families safe while uh, be, until there's a vaccine and then after a vaccine to help promote safety culture for the long haul that's the yeah. goal yeah and and listen you know i think it was back like maybe 20 2012 i i decided to pull the trigger and go full-time freelance back in 2009 okay but as the rise of you know these these crew up sites and these casting sites i must have done a hundred applications slash emails a day or every other day, which would lead to five to 10 follow-ups, which was about a full week's worth of work the following week, but, every, but kept doing that. I kept doing 50 to 100 applications every day to every other day, every other day, every other day, every other day, which would fill up that week or that fill up that month. Or I would get that, I would get that AD job on a film that lasted three weeks, and, but, but keep, 
sending out headshots, keep sending out resumes, keep sending out AD or uh, crew or acting applications, emails, uh, passing notice responses, applications every day, every other day, 50 to 100 of them. And then I get a week filled, I get a month filled, I get a week filled, I get a month filled. And it was, and that's how it worked. And so now in, in this case, it's networking, networking, networking. I'm going to like ask 100 people to come on the podcast. I might get 50. And then out of those 50 guests, 10 of those guys, 10 of you, 10 of you guys are going to remember me. I'm going to remember all of you guys, of course. Mm -hmm. You're on my show. But 10 of you guys are going to remember me down the road. Hey, man, come on my podcast. Hey, man, uh, be an AD on something. I need, I need you to play a cop. I loved, you know, I loved our conversation. I looked at your stuff and now here it is two years later, come play a cop on something. Okay. No, yep. absolutely. Hell yeah. And it's going to be like, you know, this, this odd creative interweaving of, of just networking, collaborative. Have you, have you had a situation yet where you've met someone on this show or on zoom and then you've seen them in person and they don't look like you thought they did on the box. I've had that situation a couple of times recently where I've seen people where I've, I've, you know, I've, you know, like, you know, one of my, one of my coworkers, I knew he was tall, but when I finally saw him in person, I was like, <laughs> I realized you were that tall. I mean, it is so funny, you know, because I feel like I get to know people so well on the boxes and then I see them in person on a set and I was like, wow, this is like, I, I, I don't know that it's a, a unique situation that moment that um, I've I never experienced before that I've experienced like three or four times over the last couple of months. It's been wild to see yeah. people for the first time after seeing them in, a, in the box for so long. Uh, no. So, OK, so there was an acting gig I had maybe a year ago and then COVID happened and I reached out to a, a whole bunch of people. And one of them, one of the people I reached out to come on the podcast after the fact was one of the co one of my co-stars in this, in this crime episode. Mm -hmm. And so then he was on the podcast. We were kind of, you know, in just, just one episode he was on. And then we just happened to be on another acting gig a couple of weeks ago. Finally, it was back on set as an actor. Um, and of course, everything COVID compliant. And it was actually a military industrial project so it was like super COVID compliant they weren't they were playing zero games yeah but but um you know he was he, but but i just saw him again on set again and so in that regard not really to the extent you're talking about because I, I met him in person first and then had him on the show then met him again but i yeah. but i but i think the cohesiveness was a little bit more there but also just us being excited to be back on set excited that you know things were kind of getting back to semi-productive yeah. he was on the podcast we were able to share our frustration then because it was because that was probably may i had him on the podcast and so we were super frustrated definitely locked down nothing going on super boredom super cabin fever super frustration maybe a little bit of depression of just when is the thing when is this thing going to end yeah he was he was on he was on the show then but now we're on this new gig and we're back on set you know making some money able to act able to you know play the our roles and it was just we were having a blast on set 
and we were having a blast on set before the quarantine, but I think there was this extra, we're back at it, man. You, you know, it's like, and you back. can't take it for granted. Yeah. You really can't take it for granted. You know, you get to, you get, you get, you get paid to act. It's a dream. You know, I mean, that's like, that's, that's, you know, it's, and that's, and that's, and that's, that's another bonus to it. And I've, and I've yeah. mentioned that to, on the show a thousand times. I've had people criticize my work and they're like, when are you going to be in a real, but when are you going to, when are you going to, when are you going to get like a starring role in a real show? And I'm like, dude, I'm on TV and it pays the bills. Am yeah. I a, am I a millionaire? No. And uh, you know, am I the lead in like, you know, a big Hollywood blockbuster yet? No. But dude, I'm on TV and I'm the lead of this episode that's on freaking TV and I'm getting paid to yeah. act. I'm getting paid to play pretend. You can't knock that. You know what I'm saying? You're absolutely right. Like that's it, no, it, does, it doesn't matter how far you get, there's always gonna be a way that someone can knock you down again or like be like, Yeah, you put did you do this? Yeah, you, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't matter. You know, you know, it breaks my heart when I hear about people who have made it who still suffer from anxiety and depression, you know, in all different ways, whether or not it has to do with, I don't know, with the industry or just with them or whether their, their background or their environment. It just like, it doesn't, there, there are always something that can bring someone down. So if, you know, we can look in our, our, in our, in our own environments, in our own circle of influence, that we are happy and healthy doing what we're doing and we can provide for our families while we're doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, and if we get higher than that and we become famous, you'll be more grounded. Yeah. You know, yeah. because you have that, that basis of, of support and you, and you have that um, perspective, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's extremely important for me to remain humble and positive yeah. and, and, and grounded, but a bad habit that I have, and I'll admit it, a bad habit I'll have is I'll have somebody like that say something to me. And I'm like, what do you got compared to what? Well, when are you going to, when are you, when are you going to make it bigger? When are you going to do something bigger? And I'm like, compared to, compared to you. And then they get, and then they get a bad attitude and they're like, oh, you're cocky. And I'm like, I'm not cocky. I didn't say shit until you started running your mouth. And then I'll be quick. I'll be quick to say something back. Uh, you know, oh, when are you going to work on a real show? And I'm like, compared to compared to what? Compared yeah. to what? What do you when? When was the last time you came out with a track? When was the last time that uh, you wrote something? Are mm -hmm. you gonna Are you gonna finish that book you've been talking about for 15 years? Oh, 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 oh I see. Where a oh, big big movie man? And I'm like, um, I didn't I didn't say I was. I never said I was. I'm just saying I'm possibly doing a little bit more than you are. You're quick to you're quick to critique until you start getting that criticism back, and that's a bad habit of mine. I, I know I should just be like, oh yeah yeah okay whatever, but I'm I'm real quick to snap back. You know, fire. You, you, you may be working on that your whole life. You know. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's just you know that, but but the fact that you at least recognize that that that's something that might as well work on. Then that you're you're three steps ahead of other people. They might not even might not even realize that the way that you react to people is a problem or an issue, or it could be detrimental in some capacity, you know? So the, just the fact that you're able to articulate that, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, <you're, laughs> yeah but, 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 but you hit the nail on the head. I'm going to be wasting my time with those comments for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
keep it keep it keep it focused keep it grounded no you're right <laughs> you're right now um I, I i've been meaning to change my approach to this question because i even have a different approach to this question but if i were to say to you the new normal what comes to mind when i mention the new normal to you i'm, I'm like a broken record safety yeah. culture safety culture safety culture i've i i i foresee the new normal um as you know people are talking about mental health on set more often uh that from the creative side from the creative producing side to the logistics and the line producing side that people are talking about uh how they can creatively help each other out in order to be able to make the day to make stakeholders happy to be able to actually still make the shoot happen uh, in a way that is looking after for everyone's livelihood, uh, and both physically and mentally. Uh, I, I think that that's something that I could foresee happening from my perspective, because those are the people that I want to work with. And those are the jobs that I want to help produce, that I want to help make. You know, I, I feel like I, I could foresee myself being much more selective with the jobs that I take after COVID, uh, and I'm going to base those jobs based off of, you know, the, the the perspective that the production crew, you know, and the executives have um, in relation to safety culture. And I can articulate that a lot better now, based off of the last eight months of training that I've been doing. You know, like I, I have, I feel like I have a little bit more clout in that world now, now that I can articulate what the hierarchy of controls are in on on a set and why one set of controls is more important than the other why administrative and behavioral controls like social distancing or um, testing or continuity of operations or paid sick leave is more effective than just giving someone a mask and wearing ppe you know i under, I, I can i can articulate that, that like that and i can give concrete evidence as to why that's the way to work and why you need to work that way if you want to be effective in the business and how it's good business. Like that's, you know, I, I, I feel much more confident about that before. And, and a year ago, I wouldn't even know how to talk about it. I would just take whatever job came my way. Not anymore. I know too much now, you know, and I feel like I'm ready to be more of a leader on set than I was before. Um, yeah. So hopefully I see a change uh, in safety culture, you know, particularly here in New York, you know, on small, low budget uh, uh, shoots. Uh, in particular, because that's just, you know, what I have the most uh, experience on, where I'll probably be able to get work, you know, moving forward until the next big job comes along. Yeah, I mean, in the last eight months, I was able to comfortably and mentally, it was like a comfort to just say, I'm not taking any of these gigs. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was like, yeah, but I got to Like, I, I want to stay relevant as an actor. I want to stay relevant socially. I want to stay relevant financially. I want to stay relevant within these casting directors' minds and in, the, in, the, in these directors' minds. But no, I it it, it took and it it didn't take it didn't take much, but it was just this. It was like this epiphany where it's just like, I'm not taking any gigs on set 
outside of a certain mile range, outside of a certain pay rate, mm -hmm. uh, with a very few with a very few small distinctions. It was just like, no, I'm not taking any acting gig. I'm not taking any gigs on set unless I'm a, I'm a COVID compliance officer. Um, There was so much high, and I brought it up on the show before. But you know, years ago, I got into live streaming, and I got into remote, and I got into remote work, and then I started doing the podcast. And because of the podcast, I was getting all these virtual corporate industrial gigs that I was comfortable enough with that, and it was just I. And, and, and I think I'm falling within that same mindset you're saying that, that, that you brought up where it was just this, it was just this switch that like this epiphany mixed with discipline, mixed with uh, honesty, mixed with just uh, the, the, the determination to keep my wife and my, and my in, and infant son safe, mm -hmm. just can't take any gigs on set. And with, with the exception of that one acting gig that was uh, a couple of weeks ago, when I just started, I started grilling them kind yeah. of in a way. I'm an actor, but I'm, but I'm like, COVID, are you guys COVID compliant? Oh, yeah, this is a DOD project. So they're not playing any freaking games. Mm -hmm. We're shooting on base. Um, so they, they don't play any games. Um, did, 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 this, 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 this. And I'm like, okay. But this is something also yeah, that we... You know, cause someone, someone who, you know, who, who, who goes into training with CWP, you know, who comes to our meetings, you know, like I want everybody to walk out of any of the trainings or any of the meetings that we do, knowing that anybody on set, if you're up for a job, you know, if you have a call with the producer, you, you should always know that you have the ability to influence the production safety plan. You do. Everyone does. Everyone's sure. part of it. You know, so if you're up for a job and someone's talking to you, there's no reason why you can't write an email. This sounds great. Can you tell me more about your safety plan? And if they say, well, what are you talking about? We'd be like, well, you know, what guidelines are you following? You know, like who is in charge of that? Can you tell me about the COVID compliance team? You know, there are questions you can ask and you can give feedback based off of your own experiences working at the DOD, you know, the job, you know, you, you have experiences. Um, that, that if, if I was a COVID compliance officer, I would like to be able to talk to everybody on set, at least briefly individually before going to set being like, what's your experience been like? So then I know a little bit more of how to work with you, you know, and, and you can get that going as a professional yourself, if you're up for a job, you know, like we are, we're all in this together. We can all influence the safety plan and we can do it in a proactive way, uh, that, I think that if you do it the right way, or at least in a proactive way and not in a condescending way, that is going to be a selling point for you to get the job. You know, th that's the type of person that I would want to hire on set, someone who, who has safety culture in mind. Yeah. You know, that's, that's like, that's a, that's like, of course, I want to hire them over someone that's so cavalier and be like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I, I, I get it. Do what you got to do, but I'll be okay. Yeah. Not now. I mean, listen, you, anybody in there, any, everybody has a right to just turn down a job. You don't have to take a job. Yeah. Things, things sound fishy. I need the money. Yeah, you don't need the money that bad. Yeah. And 
take it from me, things will fall into place. If you just keep, you, you, you keep uh, persevering, you keep, you know, pushing forward in that same applying to gigs, applying to gigs, applying to gigs. Somebody calls back, hey, like, like you said, hey, what is your safety? What are, what are your safety procedures? Yeah. And if, if, some, if you don't get a warm and fuzzy, I'm going to have to pass. Yeah. Oh, we, we want you. I'm going to have to pass because I'm not getting that warm and fuzzy. But listen, I've been fired time and time again for being that guy. You know, I've been fired as an AD a couple of times. I was, uh, there was another gig I was fired. I was not fired for being an AD, but then this email came out and everybody was decimated. And especially me, I was criticized for, you know, taking over directing the film. And, and I'm like, listen, listen, bro. When that film, when that film comes out, it's still going to say written and directed by you. And 17 credits later, it's going to say first assistant director, Glenn Nelson. At the end of the day, you're still getting the writer director credit, not me. But there were safety, there were safety issues, and I'm stepping uh -huh. in. I'm saying, nope, we're gonna we're gonna break this down simpler. We're gonna dumbify the shit out of this. We're not gonna make our day. We're running over schedule and there's safety issues. I'm gonna take over, shoot, shoot this, cut, shoot that, cut, shoot that, cut. Look, after after some decent editing, it's gonna look like a Jackie Chan fight scene. Don't worry about it. But it's not going to be a Jackie Chan fight scene. And plus we got like 20 minutes and then we're, we're going into overtime. So, you know, but I've, I've, I've been, I've been kicked off a couple of sets for being, you know, super safe. What's taking so long. Let's move along. And yeah. this shit needs to be safe. This shit can't be like, you know, psychotic. So listen, you don't need to take the job if you don't get a warm and fuzzy from the job, from, 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 from uh, 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 the producer. If you don't get a warm and fuzzy from the producer, from the director, from, from the EPs, from any of the other staff, uh, speak up or just don't take the job. Yeah. You know, and, and especially now, I mean, like, I, but, but listen, I had to make that choice from April to November I didn't take, I didn't, I wasn't taking any gigs except for remote work. Yep. And I, and that's why I started the podcast. And that's why I was trying to push this whole new, uh, 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 service that I can offer this whole new skill set. I can do a shitload of remote stuff, man. You're a DJ. I will walk you through how we will do a live DJ set on whatever, you know, Facebook live, YouTube live, what Twitch, whatever we can rock this thing out live. You want you, you you got a band? You guys are comfortable being in the room. You will I will you will guys guys will have a live concert on whatever platform, whatever streaming service. I will do it. I had to like you know flip gears because I had to make. I'm an actor. I'm a filmmaker. I like shooting stuff. I like blowing stuff up. I like shooting guns. I like car chases. I like fight scenes. I like uh, you know. You know, getting thrown through windows. You know, I like interrogating the bad guys mm -hmm. in that in that in that in that interrogation room. I love being the detective. You know, grilling a criminal. You know, I, I love the court. I love the courtroom scenes. You know, you can't handle the truth. That's my shit, man. Time out. It's not happening this year. End of freaking story. Now we got COVID compliance supervisors. Now we've got um, 
we have that understanding that we're going to have to cut cast and crew down to a third. Yep. Well, what did you did you say? You said something anywhere between five and fifteen people total on set. Yeah, I mean, these are we're talking about you know um, you know like uh, you know interview shoots or you know documentary B roll shoots. Um, sure. Yeah, you know, so we're you know we have um, yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's you know bare bones. You know uh, the, the, the the DP is also gaffing, uh, no AD on set. You got your you know um, you know <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about like I'm I'm the COVID guy, but I'm helping load in, load out. You know, and trying yeah. to be able to make sure everyone's staying in their lanes that we're not you know on top of each other. And yeah, so it's uh, that's where you got to start kickstarting some creativity, thinking yeah. outside that box. Think yeah. outside the box. Oh man, but you know, like no, you can still tell the story. Let's figure out how. To... On every one of the shoots, there's also some exec that is zooming in, just to keep an eye on stuff. And you sure, know, they would they would be in Video Village, you know, but not today, you know. So They're zooming in, and you're dealing with time zones, and <laughs> yep, time to think outside the box. Yeah. Uh, and and to me, I love that shit. And I have a web series out pre-COVID. We were ultra below the line, ultra below the line, ultra cutting costs, super like, and, and, and it's, a, it's a recurring joke on, on this podcast when I'm talking about this stuff. It's not even a skeleton crew. It's like a rib cage crew. It's like a bone marrow skeleton crew. It's not even that the skeleton crew. It's so minimal. It was like, like two, three, maybe four people yep. on set. And I said, I came up with a, you know, a slick idea. I can, I'll send you some links to it offline, but came up with some slick ideas to come up with a web series, super ultra low budget. And, and now it's definitely something that, that works now. And, but it's that mindset. It's like, because for years I was like, I have a couple of scripts. I can only shoot it for $50,000. It can only be done with fifty thousand dollars with a with, with a full crew, and uh, people like people like my brother, like dude, just do it. Figure out a way. Get a get a crew together and make it happen. It doesn't have to be for fifty thousand dollars. It could be for five, ten thousand dollars. Eh, you know, stubbornness, hard headedness, and then it was like you, you wake up one morning, five years later, you have not produced a single freaking thing except for you worked on you, you worked on other people's stuff. You know, as you know, as a professional, you're still working, but when are you going to make your own thing? And yeah. it's like you got to think outside that box. And so when it comes to like these new productions, it's like bare bones. All right, how do we still make that work? It's possible. It's also it's been a lot of fun uh, reading about how the larger productions, particularly here in New York, have gotten back in and be able to maintain filming broadcast tv filling the studios back up and working through this this winter um from the writing room down you know the people are, are writing more scenes to be able to take place in the studios as opposed to on location in the streets um you know people are you know they're yeah so it's like it's like how okay so we have access to areas that we have control over you know it's like how can we you know do that and make make that the majority of what we're going to be shooting you know so and and it's not like they don't really have a, the choice it's like the outdoor dining stuff is still set up outside in new york here there's no place to park 
trucks on locations mm -hmm. you know? and there's there's it's very difficult to be able to to shoot on location indoors in smaller areas you know that you don't have the control of the ventilation over to be able to uh, be up to the standards of all the protocols that are set up in place for the unions so it's like they've had to change the way that they think about how they tell stories in order to be able to make these broadcast dates this spring you know it's it's fascinating you know, and it's really, it's actually really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, so, it, so it's not just the smaller stuff. It's the bigger stuff have had to change the way that they're uh, creatively producing in yeah. order to be able to do the same level of 120 person crew to be able to just keep going. And it's the independent filmmakers that have been inspiring that since I was, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is like Swingers, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs, uh, El Mariachi, uh, Blair Witch Project. These filmmakers thought outside the box and, and, and Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs, a heist movie where you never see the heist. The whole film took place in a warehouse after the fact. And it was and it's still to me, it's one of his best, top three, his best. Yeah. Uh, Blair Witch. I mean, some college kids right out of college started putting together, you know, some money to make a feature film. Well, okay, they made they made a film based on making a botched documentary, one with a 16 millimeter camera, one with a VHS camera. And they even with even then, when this was this whole found footage idea of horror movies or found footage movies in general was so fresh, they even found like these creative ways within that they were creating it. And it was what was unique is the person with the 16 millimeter film camera that had no audio on it went down in the basement first, got cracked in the skull, but you're still seeing that footage, but they're using the audio from the VHS camera when she's running down the steps. And so that, oh no, it, no, it was vice versa, my bad. He had the VHS camera with the built-in mic. He gets cracked in the head in the basement, right? She's running down with a 16 millimeter as she's running down, her audio is growing louder and louder and the tension's building and building because she's getting close to the other camera, right? And it's like all these, that was never, ever a thing. And they, they first, out of the blue, not only did they create found footage horror movies, they, they invented this unique little effect because she's getting closer and closer to his VHS camera with a built-in mic, her screaming is getting louder and louder as she's getting closer and closer to that point of horror. And I then gotta, when she, yeah, I got to revisit Blair Witch Project. It's the, been a long time since I've seen it. The original, that yeah, yeah. ending was so freaking horrifying because it was the technic, it was the technological advances within its time. They were mixing, they were mixing a sixteen millimeter camera with no audio. Mm -hmm. with, a, with a with a mini DV camera, right? Built-in mic. And they were mixing those formats and they were experimenting with that. At the time, experimenting, not only creating found footage, but experimenting with the found footage genre as they were creating it. Yeah. And so now you've got Fox, NBC, CBS, CNN. You've got ABC, NBC, CBS having to like re-experiment. Yep. Okay. And, and that's the beauty of these challenges and and that is and that's what I've always loved was like re-experimenting and listen I got no freaking money Steve Scott I got no freaking money I want to make this thing let's figure out how to make it with zero dollars 
the only thing the, the only thing that we can do is invest you know three days out of our lives right you know uh you know what i could do as a producer i can i'll order grubhub that'll be your payment you know pizza and beer that's what we're on a pizza and beer budget we create a couple of episodes of something we create the short film let's how, how do we do it with zero dollars thinking oh here's an idea oh what if we did this what if we did that get rid of this make these three characters just one character oh shit okay what are they schizo or or is it just they're all or they or this one character just has three different goals in life instead of three people with one goal each oh you know kind of like rewrite look at like what we can pull off with what kind of gear we have it's just experimentation thinking outside the box we all made we've all in in college we all made the the soup to nuts film mm-hmm. your gen your 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 conservative narrative your basic abc film we've done that we've been there before and we might have we might have did it on a huge level i've been an ad on some big stuff on some little stuff and every and and, and everything in between so i think it's like okay let's let's watch other people's shit what was it uh i had a previous guest telling me they were watching blacklist and i think they finished out blacklist animated because hmm. of quarantine well yeah well they probably took the idea from tarantino's kill bill volume one when they did over background story as an anime because why not he the second someone does something remotely similar remotely like cool that's a thing now that now that's a thing well i mean tarantino is also a a master at taking all the really cool stuff that people have done and and then reinventing it in a way and making it its own you know running that line that fine line of stealing an homage that he does better than anybody who's ever lived you know, it's like be, because he's so good and he's so smart and he's so skilled, you know, that he can steal something from somebody and call it an homage and people will love him for it. And so do I, you know, yeah. because I love I love everything that Tarantino does and, and his movies make me want to watch other movies that he's taken ideas from. Mm-hmm. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, and so, but yeah, yeah, he's um, definitely really good at, you know, taking ideas from and making it its own. Yeah. Well, if you could leave, if you could leave us with one point, one, one bit of advice, one, some, some takeaway advice or one point to make, what would that be? One big point to make. Um, be kind to each other, you know, just, 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 you know, you know, be, be kind to each other. You know, every, everybody, you know, it's, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it to, to hold grudges. It's not worth it to work with people that you don't enjoy being around. You know, it's, you know, it's, you know, be kind. And if you, it's, if it's not reciprocated, then go a different direction, you know, work with other people um, or spend time with other people. You know, like, I, I think that's, that's the main thing I'd say, you know, you know, please, please continue to be kind to each other, especially when we come back out of quarantine and all this ends, you know, that's, um, that's, those are the people that I'd, I'd like to be able to continue working with. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Listen, yeah. going back to the Marvel movies, right? I love the Marvel movies. Those continue to inspire me. But in real life, if you're going to make a decision about how to treat somebody, how to work with somebody, how to run a set, how to run the country, what would Luke Skywalker do? What would Steve Rogers choose to do? What would his decision be? I know they're fake characters. Yeah. But growing up, we wanted to be those guys. So now that here we are, we're growing up. What would, what would Luke's decision be? What would, what would Steve Rogers' decision be? What would, uh, what would Indiana Jones want to do? What would his decision be if, if it was like, be the good guy or be the bad guy? You know what I mean? And that's always yep. been like, uh, you know, uh, there was somebody else that said, uh, you know, imagine you're, imagine you're the star of a movie. Make your actions be that. If, if your life is the movie, make your action, what would your actions be? I like that. I like that a lot. You see what that's I'm saying? One. Are you going to be the? One. Are you going to be a good guy? Are you going to be the bad guy? Are you going to make the right decision, the wrong decision? Are you going to be an asshole, or are you going to be like, or are you going to be like a firm, you know, tough son of a bitch, but still, what would maybe not Clint Eastwood? <laughs> what would John McClane's decision be? You know, John John McClane might he might not take shit from nobody, but he's not going to be the bad guy. You know, yeah. he's he's trying to be the good guy, but still, he's going to bust some heads if he has to. At least he's trying. <laughs> At least he's trying. He's trying. Right? At least he's trying. Yippee man. You, you know? know? Yeah, at least, he's, at least he's trying. I mean, I love, you know, and, and it's funny you mentioned that's one of your favorite movies. If, if someone had a gun to my head and said, what's your favorite movie? I'd say Die Hard. You know, if I really, if I really had to pick a favorite movie, you know, like, I, I, I mean, I got, I got a hundred favorite movies. But if the, the question always comes, if I really had to pick one, I'd probably go back to Die Hard. Yeah. And... I just love that moment. He's a good guy, but he's this average guy, uh, you know, just, you know, struggling to like, he was in the first one anyway, he was really like struggling, clawing at every inch that he could to survive, to save other lives, to, to t take out each and every bad guy he could. But there was that thing where, uh, uh, um, I forget, I can't even remember the guy, the actor's real name, but he was the long blonde haired guy. Right. And he comes in, he's smashing his gun on something. And, 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 and in, the, in the movie, his name's like Fritz or Fritz. Or <laughs> Fritz is like slamming his gun on something and he's kicking shit around and he storms off and Holly starts grinning. She goes, what, what she goes, what are you grinning about? He goes, John's alive. He's alive. He's still alive. Only John could <laughs> piss a guy off that fucking bad. I know John's alive. Only John could piss somebody off that bad. And it's like that's the and that was always kind of like the good guy I wanted to be. I'm there, you know, uh, John McClane's way more realistic than the Luke Skywalkers. Well, Luke Skywalker was kind of realistic in Return of the Jedi, where he almost slipped, you know, he almost slipped and he chose. He almost chose the dark side. He almost slipped, you know, and then he, and then he remembered his path. But John McClane was always a good guy, always determined to be the good guy. But he's fallible. He's a yeah. smart ass. He's a foul mouth, smart ass, borderline alcoholic. But he knows what is right and what's wrong. And oh, he's also just an astonishingly present character. 
you know, like every moment in that movie, you can see that he is 100% in tune with the situation right in front of him. And it's just task after task after task after task. Okay, this is what's happening right now. What do I do? Well, I do this. Okay, I'm still alive. This is happening right now. Now what do I do? Okay, I have to do this. Oh, I have to pretend to be like this right now because this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. And if I don't play this cool, I'm going to die. Now I'm here. Now I'm getting blown off the building. And it's just like again and again and again and again. And it's amazing. And there's moments where he's willing to sacrifice himself. Yeah. There's moments where he, he fails to save another life or two. There's moments where he sacrifices his safety to save others. That's why the, he got the people off the roof. But you're right. There's another discipline to that. It's the task at hand. It's, yeah. it, it's checking boxes. You know, too many people in life are trying to think of 40 million things all at once. They're always late. They're always uh, forgetful. They're, they never show up on time. They're trying to do too many things at once. And sometimes it's about what's right in front of you. Check this box. Uh, you know, check this box. And then, it's, and then it's turn on the lights. And then it's set the shot. And then it's rehearse. And yeah. then it, and, but now there's a couple more boxes now. Now it's safety and health concerns. And it's, is it a decent set? And is there space? And can we work with a certain amount of crew? And then it's turn on the lights, turn on the camera, turn on the mics, mm-hmm. rehearse, second rehearse, adjustments, action. And too, many, and too many times people are just trying to rush. Too many people are trying to like, do too many things at one time. And you're absolutely right. His goal, his, his, his decisions on checking boxes are always to be the good guy, to be to defeat the bad guy, but what's right in front of them? Check a box, check a box, check a box. And that, and, and don't, and, 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 oh, maybe two boxes to check at once. Fuck it. Let's do our best, man. I'm only one guy. I'm not with no superhero powers, you know, but yeah, really, really something, you know, but, but again, I mean, like what would John McClane do at the end of the day? When it comes yeah. to your decisions, when it when it comes to you running a set, you know, being a boss, being the president, being a husband, what would John McClane do at the end of the day? He'd want to he'd he'd want to make his opinions heard, but he'd want to be the good guy, not the bad guy. Let's think about what a good guy would do. So I don't know. Great point, man. Be kind to each other. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Scott Reese, I can't thank you enough. Uh, being kind to people. Looking out for people's safety and welfare. What's uh, uh, any plugs, links, socials you want to put out there? Well, uh, I do have a, a movie. I'm uh, while I'm, it just so happens that during uh, you know uh, quarantine and all this this year, uh, a movie that I'm associate producer on has finally been released. It had a, a limited um, festival run this past summer into the fall, uh, and you can find it on online. It's called American Thief. Uh, it is uh, an amazing movie that was uh, shot over the span of five years here in New York. Uh, it's half, uh, it's a hybrid a documentary narrative uh, about uh, teenage hackers here in New York uh, that, uh, as that, that they, they uncover a plot uh, to um, affect the 2016 uh, presidential election. 
you know, so there's, it's a lot of the movie hits really, really close to home. It's extremely relevant uh, for the time that we live in. And uh, you can check it out and you can rent it online uh, and check it out. So uh, this is one of the movies that, you know, while, you know, it, it was shot over the span of over uh, several years in the city. And um, I was lucky enough and privileged enough to be able to help take the movie its final steps over the past year to be able to make the cut that you're going to see if you uh, rent the movie online. Uh, it's a uh, writer director, Miguel Severa is a, a very close uh, friend and collaborator of mine. So hopefully we're going to be working on a lot of projects uh, in the future together. Uh, producer Michelle Stolnicki, uh, unbelievable producer who really kind of made this movie happen with nothing but grit and determination. Uh, and uh, co-writer Missy Hernandez, uh, who is a, a film uh, teacher at Columbia College in Chicago, is the co-writer and producer. You know, I love all three of them uh, and um, really, really proud of the project. So that's the one, you know, outside uh, film that's been done right now that's outside of Community Works Project uh, that uh, I would definitely um, wish everyone to take a look at. It's a, it's a really great movie. Awesome. Well, uh, also... Before I let you go, you mentioned you were going to write. Um, you're going to take a couple of weeks to write. Can it, what can you tell us a little bit about that? No spoilers, obviously. No, uh, you know, I'm, I, I love historical, uh, uh, historical uh, fiction, you know, and I've, um, I've been, there, there are a couple of, um, couple of baseball leagues that, uh, that played here in New York in the late 1800s, early 1900s that don't exist anymore. You know, I've always, um, I've always wanted to see a film that takes place uh, as kind of an every, every man uh, on a, a really rough and tumble baseball team in the 1890s. You know, that's kind of like trying to, you know, compete with the major leagues, but not quite. You know, I always thought that would be a fun, a fun thing to see. You know, so, you know, I got a couple of books that have been on my, on my book stand for a while uh, that kind of, you know, talk about the history of the leagues, you know, and, and what happened to them and some of the amazing people who played in those leagues and what it looks like. Um, so I think that's something that I've been kind of working on in my brain for a long time that I'm going to see if I can come up with the treatment or two, you know, so that's, that's the immediate goal. Or I might do something completely different. But that's kind of what hey. those, those books are sitting next to, you know, and I, you know, I just, I'm, I'm so jazzed that the Major League Baseball just announced that they're going to uh, include all of the Negro Leagues uh, statistics as Major League Baseball statistics coming up this next year. And they're going to have to re-release and rewrite all the history books. I, it's just like, whoa. Okay. It's just like, yeah, we all know that there were a bunch of Major Leagues in the first half of the 20th century. Now it's official. Yeah. You know? Oh, it's just like. I love this stuff. That's you know? unique. And you, and you can go back even farther and farther than that, you know, and but particularly here in New York, there used to be like five or six different baseball leagues. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds definitely intriguing. And uh, I can't wait to see what comes of it. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, and then Community Works Project. We have uh, trainings on the books, January 6th and January 7th. Uh, and I'm going to be facilitating. Like I said, it's an eight-hour training over the spread over two days. Uh, and we're going to talk about, uh, you know, everything you can think of that uh, will put the power in your own hands to help keep you and your crew safe. 
no matter what department you work on. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's definitely worth it for, you know, production professionals of every level to be able to check out our site and you can reach out info at Community Works Project uh, for any questions you might have. Awesome. Well, Scott, I can't thank you enough for coming on. And, uh, you know, this was a, this was a long, meaty, inspiring, uh, informative episode. And I can't thank you enough for coming on and, and sharing all your knowledge and all your experience and, and all your points with us. And it was, uh, it was, it was a blast having you on. I learned a lot. I'm continuing to be inspired by you. And I'll, I'll, like my, like my previous guests, I'm just continue continue to be inspired and motivated to just uh, you know keep doing something, whether whatever it is, just keep doing something, just do shit, right? Create shit. Keep it up, man. Yeah, Ryan, it was a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, it was, it was great meeting you. Great having you on, Scott. I can't thank you enough to my viewers. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time and viewership. I know my guest has. And until next time, you know what to do.